and welcome to PCTY Talks. I'm your host, Sherry Simpson. During our time together, we'll stay close to the news and info you need to succeed as an HR pro. And together, we'll explore topics around HR thought leadership, compliance, and real life HR situations we face every day. On today's episode, I have with me Jason Lauritsen. Jason is a keynote speaker, trainer, co-founder, and CEO of Cultiveo, author of Unlocking High Performance, How to Use Performance Management to Engage and Empower Employees to Reach Their Full Potential. Jason, you have quite the background. Thank you so much for jumping on with me today. I'm happy to be here. My son actually just said to me last night, he's like, Dad, you do a lot of things. I'm like, yes, yes, I do. Can he um can he describe exactly what you do cuz my kids cannot. Well, he did, you know what? He did a pretty good job. He's like, "Well, you're you write books, you're a professional speaker, you teach like managers to do stuff." Like he had a general like that. I was like, "You know what? I'm making progress. I'm getting clearer because for years no one in my family had any sense of what I did." Yep, I feel you there. Um so I want to dig into performance management. You know, it's a topic that all HR professionals are, we're kind of trying to find the right combination of feedback, cadence, and formality. Um, and you tackle this in your book. It really illuminate how to create a work experience that feels great to employees while also supporting them in performing up to their potential. So what's your perspective on where HR professionals are right now in really unlocking performance? Confused. Maybe if I put it in one word, because you know that performance management is such a uh, such a sort of prickly topic because because it's so central. I mean, managing the performance of employees, managing the performance of our systems at work, right, is so central to the existence and purpose of our organization. So here we have this thing that is so important. If without performance, we have no company. Company goes away. But then at the same time, the, the primary process we use to manage it is so awkward, provides, there's very little evidence it actually does anything to improve or impact performance. And it's been, it was predominantly designed around um, sort of enforcing compliance with kind of some checkbox things that we needed to do in HR, right? It's it's all it's all really compliance driven. And so I think as as the world of performance innovation, performance management innovation has exploded over the last couple of years and organizations like yours have started to try to bring forward tools and different approaches and whatever, I think a lot of a lot my sense is that in the people I talk to, there's just a lot of head scratching, right? Like, okay, what exactly is the right there's OKRs and there's this and that and how often like do we need to have a performance appraisal every week or is like once a year always bad like what is going on so I think there's a lot of confusion that would be how I'd summarize it in terms of current state I hear a lot from HR professionals is I think a lot of them are in the space where like they want to change performance but they get locked into how does that affect my compensation decisions Right. You know, so, I mean, I think for our discussion, really, though, I want to focus on, you know, performance and giving rich feedback. You know, something that we run into a lot is how do we teach our managers to embrace this idea of rich feedback more frequently instead of making it so formal and like 
awkward, like you said. Yes. You know, what are some tips that we can use to start to introduce that and really grow our managers in this space? I'm happy to address that, but I do want to comment on the the performance compensation link quickly before we abandon that topic because you're right that is that's the 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 thing that cripples a lot of HR leaders from taking action it's like well if we if we change this process and it doesn't produce a number that then can go into our matrix to produce how what percentage of increase that this per- how are we ever going to do it and what i always the, the best thing to do is like Get really go talk to managers, and if they trust you, they'll tell you that what is happening is not that your performance evaluation system is driving compensation. It's that compensation is driving performance evaluation numbers. And so the manager and I, because I used to do this when I was the HR manager, I would do this for my team. I would decide in advance what kind of raise people needed. Then I would go backwards into, okay, what kind of rating do they need to get? Which means then what kind of appraisal do I need to write in order to justify that rating? And so, and so there is like the risk in decoupling these things is so it's actually opposite. You have more risk right now because your, your compensation decisions mean you're getting garbage performance information in a lot of cases. When you decouple the two, and you have just a performance evaluation or performance enablement or performance management, whatever you want to call it, system that actually is anchored in helping the employee perform better, you start to get better data. Now you have actual data on performance that you can use to either justify or invalidate compensation decisions that can be made through a different process. And so it's, it's just, it, it, I find it sort of comical um, that we still use that as a crutch not to make change because in actuality it's going backwards, not the way that that we're pretending it's working. So I digress. You wanted to talk about feedback. So so what we can come back to feedback now. But I that's my little rant I had to share with you. Um all right. So you you asked for specifically how can we make feedback more um, a process that maybe is a little bit more manageable, something that we can see happening more frequently between employees and managers, correct? Yeah. I mean, ultimately, I think managers get stuck in, okay, well, I know performance review is coming. It's either quarterly or biannually or annually. And so I'm going to kind of drip feedback throughout, but that's going to be the real meat of the feedback that I give. Sure. How do we get that closer to the moment? Where, where managers are, are actively having these feedback discussions and it's more transparent and it's more helpful and it really is rooted in empowering the employee to do better. Sure. Well, the, the irony of, I think, our, our complicated relationship with feedback and the reason it's so challenging actually begins with something that is not really anything to do with feedback. And it's... Uh, clarity of expectations. Uh, So many, I mean, every organization I've worked with, and I think almost every team or manager that I have coached or trained always has an issue of a lack of clarity of expectations at the beginning. They're They're not doing the work to get really crystal clear about what, um, you know, what exceptional or expected performance looks like. 
They're not doing the work to get really clear about how we're going to do our job. So that's, you know, what are our values? What kind of behaviors are expected? How are we going to communicate with each other, with our customers, with the people we support? All of these things are sort of left as, you know, as a manager, oftentimes we, you know, it's like, well, we'll talk about it. We talked about it once in a meeting in 1999. And so clearly everyone knows, like we had that conversation. And so there's clarity. There's just, there just isn't clarity. And so the reason feedback sucks so much is that most of the time, as the employee, you're walking into a meeting, the manager is about to drop a feedback bomb on you. And the manager in their mind has an expectation that they're evaluating against that you have little or no awareness of. You're about to find out. So you're about to find out an expectation exists and that you're not meeting it. And it's going to be purely focused on criticizing you over the ways that you're not meeting this expectation you didn't know about. And at the end of it, you're supposed to be motivated to get better. And instead, you feel like you just got hit upside the head with a two by four and told that you really, really suck. And it's like, and, and we're puzzled by why feedback isn't working. And so the key underneath all of this, if we want feedback to be more effective, it starts with getting much clearer about what's expected at work. And that my go-to, my go-to oversimplified tool or mantra for this is what I call the golden rule of management. The golden rule of management is if it matters, write it down. It is that simple. I, it's amazing how you know managers will tell me or leaders, they say they're clear about something and then you say, okay, show me, show me where it's written down. And they don't have it written down anywhere. It's clear to them. But then if you go talk to their people, their people have a completely different conception or no conception. You make them write it down. And then all of a sudden they realize, boy, I wasn't nearly as clear about this as I thought. And then the process of writing it out actually you know, forces their way through it. And then they share it with others and the others say, I don't know what that means. And then they have to write it again. And so when you write it down, that clarity starts to come. Do you think that this is potentially perpetuated by you know, leadership? has an idea of what the expectation of a team is that trickles down to what the manager expectation is. And then by the time it gets to the employee, it could look wildly different than what leadership sure. wants to see out of the team. Yeah. It's like that game of, uh, what did we call that telephone, telephone or whatever when yeah. you're a kid? Yeah. Where you started, you told the first person something, you whispered it to them and then you go all the way around the circle. And by the end, it sounds nothing like what it started. That's, that is what happens but you know what? If you write it down on a piece of paper, hand it to the first person, and then that person tells the next person and hands them the piece of paper, guess what? When you get to the end of the circle, they're still saying exactly the same thing. That's the power of writing it down. So you're absolutely right. When it does, when it starts at the top and filters down, hot mess, hot mess. It falls apart, and the message by the time it gets to the the intended person isn't the same. And so, yes. Yeah, so that. That's where it starts is clarity of expectation. Um, the other thing that I would say that is central to fixing feedback and I think fixing performance improvement, at least just if we're talking about feedback in terms of, of techniques, is a technique that I actually originally heard Marshall Goldsmith talk about years ago that he's, he's a famous executive coach, has written a bazillion books. And then I've heard Marcus Buckingham talk about it and others, but it's an approach called feed forward. And 
feedback is feedback is is actually you know it's an old kind of um it's an old term that actually comes out of sort of systems work that is about it's just information right about the performance and it's information about the performance that happened right so it's how did this process go the feedback is basically did the process meet the expectation or not or whatever so it's it comes out of that and so by nature by definition feedback is backwards looking it is an evaluation of the last cycle of performance or whatever behavior the problem with feedback is that usually when we do feedback we're looking at the past cycle if if you met expectations we give you nothing just like you did it and then you move on if you if you exceeded expectations, then we give you a, a sticker or a you know whatever um, a scratch and stiff sticker if you're really really exceptional. But if you fell short, then we give you a, a you suck list, right? We give you a whole list of ways that you fell short. The problem with that that's really disempowering because you know what I can't change is my past performance. It's already done. Like, so you piling on me and telling me how much I suck based on my past performance doesn't help. That's not going to, that's not motivating. And that's, and the insight for me that really made feed forward stick was watching my kids get coached in sports and realizing that like coaches are giving feedback all the time, but they do it in a way that is oriented towards next play, next play, next play. So next time do this. They're not like, man, why did you do that? That shot sucked. Whatever you like, they, when you do that, kids cry and they stop playing. They just get demotivated. But when you say, "Hey, let me show you something," and they teach, right? They show you how to do it better next time. That's feed forward. And so the the approach with feed forward is, as a manager or even in our system, is to stop asking people to create a you suck list for other people. Don't you don't have to look backwards and then pile on all the things that the person did wrong. You can actually you look at that past performance and you say, okay, where does this person need help? Where do they need new approaches? Where do they need to do something a little bit differently to perform different? And then I'm going to provide them with suggestions, tips, insights, learning, coaching, so that they can take that and, and use it to improve future performance, which they still have control over. That is something that is within their range of control. So feed forward is kind of magic. You can use that in how you coach. You can use it in the questions you ask, even in your performance system. You know, instead of asking how, you know, like, tell me about what Sherry did well and what she didn't do well in that podcast interview. The question becomes, hey, do you have any ideas for how Sherry could more effectively interview guests in the future? Those are two same outcome that we're after, but they feel very different. It's amazing that we see that in coaches, you know, as kids are with our kids and somewhere along the line, it like disappears that we realize that that's like the best way to help people move forward. Well, we've been told a lie, right? In a lot of our management training programs, historically, traditional management, we've just been told that this is critical. Like you have to do, you know, feedback is vital and feedback is vital. It's important. You have to know and I'm not so let me let me be clear. I'm not Pollyanna here. I'm not telling you that you shouldn't ever look at past performance or evaluate past performance. This goes back to clarity of expectations. If I have crystal clear expectations, then at any given time, I know that I'm falling short of expectations. Or if I don't, 
then I'm not getting the kind of information I need about my performance. All feedback is not my manager sitting down with me and telling me. Some feedback is natural feedback that comes from the environment. Some feedback is feedback that comes from my peers. Some feedback, there's a lot, you know, some feedback is just quantitative, um, you know, quantitative measurement of objective performance. All of that is feedback. And I should have access to a lot of that on a real-time basis so that I understand where I'm at. And, you know, they like coaches do, college coaches, high school coaches, they go back and look at game film. They look at game film and they call out things like, okay, that we, we, our, our defense broke down right there. So let's talk about what we should have done. Like, what should we have done differently there? And then we're going to drill that in practice this week. Right. But it's not talking about how you're broken or like really piling on why we suck so bad that we did that. Right. That doesn't help. How do you see the role of peer involved in the performance review process? Well, I think peers actually are play a much more important role than we often allow them to play. But it's dangerous, right? I mean, this is, this is where setting the cultural, setting the cultural kind of container is really, really important. Uh, because what I'll give you a, a perfect example of what's possible. And I, I wrote about this in my book and it's, there's this, this company called Menlo Innovations up in Michigan that is a software, their software development shop. And they are, they become kind of legendary. Their CEO has actually written two books about how they do work there because people are so blown away. But one of the things that, that they do is the way they do perform, their sort of their answer to performance evaluation is something they call feedback lunches. And a feedback lunch basically is as an employee, when my feedback lunch comes up, I get a notification it's time. So then I, as the employee, identify the five or so people who over the last performance cycle have the best view of my performance. I invite them to this lunch. Once they accept, I then send them out an email um, asking or sort of telling them specifically what kinds of questions I have about my performance um, and what I would like to talk about or where I would need feedback. They have a couple of weeks to prepare, and then we all come together, sit down around a table, and they, face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball, give me the feedback I requested about my performance. And while that seems insane to most people, I actually have interviewed, I talked to several, of, I talked to several folks there uh, about this process, and they say... The reason that it works is because from the very moment they interview for a job there, there's a cultural standard or expectation set that is everywhere at this organization that your job is to make the person next to you successful. And so there's this level of trust and commitment that exists from day one. They hire for it. They condition it. They, And so when you sit down in that room to get feedback, they can give you all kinds of feedback, critical you know, encouraging all everything in between, and you can hear it and take it in because you trust these people and you recognize that they want you to succeed. And so yeah, it has to start by creating an environment where people feel safe and they they know that they're 
that their success is interconnected and that it's worth it to give that feedback. So it's really important, but it's hard to do. Yeah, it sounds like such an exciting way to give feedback. And it really kind of leaned into empowering the employee to own the process, which I really liked because sometimes those processes are so top down, driven by leadership or by HR. So I really love that idea. Um, I'm going to switch gears a little bit as you as you kind of think through performance and some of the things that, you know, HR has been dealing with over the last you know two years now. We're really high on kind of diving into employee experience, but I think there's this interwoven, intertwined idea between employee engagement, employee experience, and performance. I'm curious your perspective on how you see all those things working together. Yeah, that, that's a. It's kind of like the sort out the buzzword bingo of HR. Um, I have for years been railing against the, and I say this, I say this just because I go on rants about this once in a while, but, but one of the things I commonly talk about is that one of the things in HR that, that plagues us is how sloppy we are about our language. So like employee engagement, I have built a career around employee engagement in this world of employee engagement. And yet, and if I, you know, when I show up in a room full of you know, if I'm speaking to a room of several hundred leaders or HR people and I'm saying, I say employee engagement, everybody nods their head like they know what I'm talking about. Same thing. We're all talking about the same thing. But then if I went to each of them individually and said, okay, what is employee engagement at your organization? What is it? It would be, it would be a hodgepodge. I'd get some blank stares. I would get some very generic definitions. Some people would be very specific. Some people would give the, you know, the Gallup program, what's discretionary effort, whatever. Like we've had some, but it, it lacks specificity. There's no standard and there's no, and so, um, and so to me, so I've defined it in the way that um, I think is helpful for people to do this work. If you, if you ascribe to the way of thinking about the workplace that I do, here's how I break it down. So. Employee engagement, let's start there because I was just talking about it. So employee engagement is the degree to which an employee is willing and able to perform up to their potential. And so it's a measurement of, like I said, two things. Am I willing and am I able to give you my best? So it's, a, it's ultimately about what level of my performance capacity am I willing and um, equipped to give you? And so that's what that is about. So it's a measure of, of uh, performance, you know, unleashing of performance or unlocking of performance is kind of what engagement actually is. Employee experience is actually the, it's sort of all, it's the day-to-day sort of series of of moments and interactions that we shape that sort of impact the degree to which an employee is engaged. So the experience is more intentional. It has to do with interactions. It has to do with physical space. It has to do with technology. It has to do with all of the things that impact creating these moments of work that individuals experience every day. And, and, those moments produce some kind of feeling about work, positive, negative, neutral, helpful, not. And so the, the idea, and I talk about this a bunch in my book, that the goal is we're designing experience to drive engagement, which unleashes or unlocks potential. 
And so then when I talk about performance management, I talk about performance management as a system. And performance management is sort of the system that we design within our, the experience we're creating for our employees that that creates that experience of work that feels like a healthy relationship for employees so that they then will willingly give their best. So that's how I tie all those things together. Um, but I'm sure you next guest you will talk to on this podcast will probably answer that question completely different. Well, I think you gave a good framework for, for somebody who's listening who um, hasn't been able to tie them all together yet. So I appreciate that. You know, as we wrap up our discussion, you know, the last question I really had centered around um, great place to work designation. So you you partner with an organization called Quantum Workplace, and it's, it's one of the companies that helps identify best places to work. And that's really about, you know, creating a survey and then taking it and measuring engagement. What is the value of that, do you think, for organizations to actually continue to do those kinds of surveys and have those designations? Sure. So, yeah, you mentioned I, I spent three years of my career um, working for Quantum Workplace, leading the best places to work team. And so I got really deep in that. And I think that's a really great question. And there's several there's several layers to it. I would say, you know, at the at the top level, and probably the thing that is most important today is that if if you have a you know if you're investing in your culture and you're doing all the things to create a truly positive employee experience for your people and you can get this kind of recognition through one of these programs the the benefit is it's it's external validation of you being a good place to work and i think employees increasingly are getting more skeptical about the promises that companies make because there was a lot of you know, there was a lot of, of uh, BS floating around and, you know, people make promises and then you get in. Everybody's had that experience. You get to work and you're like, wait a minute, where's the company you were telling me about during the interview process? And so this is an external validation, especially the way that companies like Quantum do best places to work where it requires, you know, it's it's based on surveys of the actual employees. So it's the employee, how the employees feel about it, not what somebody in corporate communications can write up about the company. And so those kinds of designations are really powerful sort of validation that, you know what, this is probably a pretty good place to work if it's a cultural fit for you. And so that's that's one I think the other the other thing that's really valuable is it's a really powerful way if you're an organization that cares deeply about retaining employees, engaging employees, creating an experience that really works, it's a really good way to to benchmark where you are against your competition for great talent. And so th there's a plus and a minus when you do it. So this is my word of caution to organizations is that if you're not committed to this work and this isn't a real thing, if you're doing it, if you're participating as a shortcut or you have leaders that want to do it as a shortcut to try to get the, the bump in the, you know, this will help us recruit better, but you haven't been investing in creating a great culture before then, you haven't been surveying your employees in the past, you don't know, then maybe not the smartest thing to do because what you're going to go do is you're going to go ask your employees to complete a survey as part of a best places to work contest 
to validate what your employees already know, which is it's a terrible place to work or it's not a best place to work. And now you have evidence of that. And now you really better be ready to do something about it. So there's some real value. I mean, there's value in the recognition. There's also value in the information you get and the validation or comparison you get in benchmarking. Um, But you really need to be committed to being a best place to work truly if you're going to do it. I think employees expect that too. If, If I'm filling out a survey and I'm giving you feedback, expect you're going to do something with it and not just use it for some award. Indeed. That's the biggest mistake companies make around any, any survey, whether it's an award survey or not, if you're going to, and we saw this happen all the time, right? An organization, they would try one year, right? They, they fill it out. They ask employees to do it. They don't make the list and then they disappear. They don't come back again. And because they asked these employees for their feedback. The employees like took them at their word that they actually wanted them to be honest, and then they didn't do anything about it. That just made trust worse. That is the worst thing you can do for employee engagement is to do a survey and not take any action. It's better to not do a survey than it is to do a survey and take no action. It's that same concept as like, once you know, you know, you can't unknow it. And so That's right. It's really That's important. right. Once you see it, you can't hide from it anymore. Well, Jason, this was such a great discussion, and I'll include in the show notes links to you know Jason's website and his book um, in case you want to reach out to him direct. But Jason, thanks for a few minutes of your time. This podcast is brought to you by Paylocity, a leading HCM provider that frees you from the tasks of today so you can focus more on the promise of tomorrow. If you'd like to submit a topic or appear as a guest on a future episode, email us at pctytalks at paylocity.com.